Well, before we uh, get into uh, today's message, I uh, want to just do something. You know, tomorrow, um, hopefully, all of our uh, children and teachers and school workers head back to school. I say hopefully because I hope whatever that thing is out in the Gulf stays away and doesn't mess up the start of school and all that kind of stuff. But I want to take a minute and pray about that this morning. And uh, I especially, I want to pray for our students, but I also especially want to pray for all of the teachers and anybody that is an employee of any school system. In fact, if you are a teacher of any school of any type or an uh, employee of any of our schools, would you stand right now? Don't be embarrassed. Be proud. And here's what I'd like the rest of you to do. If you see somebody standing around you that is a school employee or a teacher, I'd like you to go and uh, just place your hands on them. And I want us to pray for them and for the mission uh, that they begin again tomorrow because they have a huge influence in our culture and our children and what they do is really important. So I want to pray for them and also for all of our uh, children as they head back to school. God, I uh, thank you for those people in this room that are standing right now. God, they, they, uh, they have a really important mission that they begin again tomorrow. Father, the opportunity that they have to influence young lives, to interact with parents, to be an influence in their schools. God, I pray that You would help them to let their lights shine boldly and brightly this year. And God, You would really use them to be an influence for You in their schools. God, I pray for the patience and the wisdom that they need. I pray, God, that You would just guide them day by day and protect them day by day. God, I pray for our children who will head back to school tomorrow, our students. And God, I pray the same protection on them. God, uh, I pray for the students of Crosspoint especially, that You would also use them, God, to let their lights shine brightly in their schools. And God, that they'd be proud that they are a follower of You. And Father, they would live and act like followers of You. And Father, would You also protect them in every way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, and you can uh, return to your seats. There is a, a new reality television show that began airing in England last Sunday night. Maybe you've seen some things about it. It's called Make Me a Christian. And the premise of the show is they've kind of brought together what I consider a pretty strange cast of people. And for three weeks, they're trying to influence them to do things that Christians do. They're kind of making them read their Bible. They're making them participate in Christian activities. They're taking some things away from their lives. And the premise of the show is to see what happens at the end of the three weeks. Have they been convinced that they ought to be a Christian? Now, I don't know whether they'll really make anybody a Christian. By the way, here's the kind of lineup of people. Pretty interesting group of people. A biker with a tattoo uh, that is a tattooist and a militant atheist. Um, a lap dancing manager who uh, buys expensive shoes, a middle class parents who are professionally so busy that they don't spend any time with their children, a man in his 20s who unbeknownst to his girlfriend goes out every week drinking and womanizing, and a, uh, a man who found Christianity unfulfilling and has converted to Islam, and uh, finally a uh, lesbian that sleeps with men. So that is their lineup of people and they're trying to convince them and yeah, I don't know about that, so... I don't know, will they really make anyone a Christian? I don't know. I also wonder, you know, a lot of those shows that start in England, the reality shows, somehow end up here in America. So I'm curious if that, if that one's going to make it over here and what that's going to look like. I, I doubt very much that they're going to make anyone a Christian. We're in this series and it's called Simple. 
Because we are growing to understand that Jesus came to earth to help it make it really clear to us just how simple it is for us to connect with God. Just how simple it is to be a follower. In fact, last week we noticed that Jesus' very simple, simple invitation that is very personal, very individual, that His simple invitation was, come, follow Me. And we watched as Matthew, a young man, began to follow Jesus and the dramatic changes that take place in his life as the story of his life continues to unfold. And those changes take place not because somebody demanded that Matthew change, not because somebody handed Matthew a list and said, change these things. Matthew changed because as he began to follow Jesus over time, he grew to know and to love his heavenly Father, God, through His Son, Jesus. Now today, I want to look very quickly as we get started here at another guy named John. John also was given the invitation by Jesus to simply come and follow. And there were a lot of changes that took place in John's life as well. As we read along in John's life, he and Jesus grow very close to each other. In fact, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, it's John that he looks down to and says, John, would you, would you take care of my mother after I'm gone? Now, I don't know about you, but the kind of people that I would trust the care of my mother, I hope would be people that I am deeply close to and deeply trust. And that's the kind of relationship that John has developed with Jesus. So Jesus dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. He goes back to heaven. And John, several years later, kind of writes his memoirs. He kind of writes of all of his experiences that he's had with Jesus. And listen to what he writes in John chapter 1, verse 17. John says this, for the law, the law being the Ten Commandments that were given in the Old Testament, for the law was given through Moses, and you've probably seen the movie where Moses goes up the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments. For the law was given through Moses, but then he makes quite a contrast. He says grace and truth, a whole different system, a whole different way of relating to God. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Then John says, no one has ever seen God. No no one really has ever seen Him. No one knows what He looks like. No one knows what God is like, really. But God, the one and only, which is a twist on words for John to say, to talk about Jesus being one and the same with God, which is pretty interesting if you think about it. I mean, it's one thing for us to try to wrap our minds around the idea that Jesus and God could be the same, but can you imagine what that would be like if you were in John's shoes? And you would spend all those days just hanging out with Jesus. He was your close friend to get your mind around the idea that, wait a minute, He is he's Jesus in the flesh, but He is also God in the flesh. But John has come to that realization. And you know how he's come? He says it this way, Who is at the Father's side has made Him known. Has made God known. John says, as I followed Jesus, As I got to know Jesus, you know what I discovered along the way? I got to know God. As I watched Jesus, it was like watching God, and I grew to know God. Now here's what we discovered last week. Jesus has offered us, all of us, an invitation to simply follow. And as we follow, He has said, you'll get to know God. And that's part of my design. It is very simple. But I want you also to come to know God. You see, God wants to be known. He does. 
Now, he doesn't want to be known in the often misconstrued way of thinking that we think of God. Now, he wants to be known, but in order for him to be known, he didn't call a big meeting and say, you know what, you guys have all of the wrong ideas about me. He didn't try to flood them with information. You know what he did? He sent his son who offered a simple invitation, come and follow me. And as you follow me, you'll get to know God. You watch what I do. You observe how I treat people. You take some notes on my attitude. And as you follow me, you'll come to know God. And this morning, that's our same opportunity. Is that if we'll simply follow Jesus, we become aware of what God is really like. Now, you know what Jesus didn't tell them up front? Jesus didn't tell them up front that was that as they began to follow Him, something would happen inside of them and suddenly they would begin at some point not only to follow, but they would begin to believe. They would begin to believe in Jesus, not just in who Jesus, in the things that Jesus said. They would begin to believe not just in what Jesus did. They would begin to believe that Jesus was who He really claimed to be. That Jesus was indeed the Son of God. That Jesus was uniquely sent from God. And they would come to believe there would be this moment along the way where suddenly they would realize, I believe. In fact, there's this incident in Jesus' life where He is teaching to a large group of people who were His followers, people who had been following Him. And on this particular day, as He's teaching in John chapter 6, He teaches some pretty difficult things, some kind of strange things. And in fact, it's so strange to some of the people as Jesus is teaching along that some of His followers decide, you know what, that's a little more than I'm asking for. And they get up and leave. Now, Jesus' closest followers, His disciples, those guys who have been following Him everywhere, they're kind of must have been maybe sitting over in the corner. And they begin to have this discussion about some of these tough things that Jesus is saying. And they're, you know, we're not sure about this. You know, Jesus, I don't know, that's pretty tough stuff. You know, Jesus, uh, the way your reputation goes is the way our reputation is going to go. Now, Jesus knows the hearts and minds of men. And I don't know about you, but that would make me a little uncomfortable to have a friend who before I even said it knew exactly what I was thinking. And that's what happens in this case. Jesus kind of looks over at these guys who are having this private discussion. He says, hey, you guys, you followers of mine, you're going to quit following You're going to do what some other people in the room here have done today? You're going to get up and leave and stop following me? And I love Peter's response because here is one time that Peter, who often said a lot of things that he later regretted, here's one time he gets it exactly right. Peter says in John chapter 6, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, Jesus, who else are we going to turn to? Who else would we follow besides you? And then here's why Peter says that. Peter says, we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter says, you know what? We've been following and somewhere along the way something happened to each of us and we began to believe that you are the Holy One of God. 
You see, my desire for us today is that we would simply follow Jesus from wherever we are on the journey, no matter what baggage we've picked up along the way, no matter what fears we carry, that we would simply begin to follow Jesus because here's what I know. Along the way somewhere, as we follow Jesus, as we read about Jesus in the Bible, read His story, as we ask questions, as we hang out with other people who are following Jesus, somewhere along the way there will be this moment for almost all of us, probably all of us, this moment where we'll, maybe even without recognizing it, go, I believe. I believe Jesus is who He says He is. He's the Son of God. And so today, for just a few minutes, I'd like to talk about this concept of believe and what the Bible has to say about it. Now, I'm not trying to make you believe today. I'm not trying to coerce you into believing. You know what? If you read the story of Jesus, you'll never hear Him trying to make people believe. He just invited them to follow and somewhere along the way, they began to believe. That's the pattern of the New Testament. So I want to look at a passage of Scripture today. If you want to open your Bibles, it's Romans chapter 3. We've also printed this in your weekly update because as we work our way through this passage, you may find some words that you want to circle or underline or write some notes. Uh, it's also going to be on the screen. Now, I know this series is called Simple, but I have to be honest, this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, some people may see it as rather complicated, as anything but simple. And if you've ever thought, oh, the Bible's kind of difficult to understand, I may very well affirm your belief today. But I hope what actually happens is that as we study through this passage, you'll actually, by the time we're finished, go, you know what, that's pretty simple. It's pretty simple what God has asked us to do. Now, the reason we're going to look at this passage, maybe as we begin to look at it, you're thinking, you know, Jeff, I'm not really sure about all this God stuff. I'm not sure about following Jesus. I'm just not sure about a lot of this. You know what? You can relate well to the guy who writes this. His name was Paul. And Paul was a skeptic. He didn't buy a lot of it himself at one point in his life. In fact, Paul often went out and helped the government track down Christ followers, arrest them, persecute them. He even sometimes stood by while they were killed. So Paul, early on, was a skeptic, but somewhere along the way, he began to follow Jesus and he had that moment where he realized, I believe that he is the Son of God. And so you'll relate well to him. Now he writes to a group of Christians in Rome, which is kind of interesting because Christianity had been outlawed in the, by the government of Rome. And so much like the country of China today, if you were a Christ follower in Rome, there was a chance you could be persecuted for your faith, which, by the way, is kind of a side note to everything going on in our culture right now. You know, China, as you watch the Olympics, it is a beautiful place, isn't it? Incredible. But please don't miss the fact that there are thousands of people there that are Christ followers that have to do it in secret because if they are discovered as Christ followers, they will be persecuted very heavily. And so as you're watching the beauty of that country, also remember there are some people there that struggle in a very difficult way. And pray for them. Well, let's dive into Romans chapter 3 today and uh, what, we, what it says here. Paul writes this, Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, but now, kind of like this is something new, it's something different. But now a righteousness. Do you know what the word righteousness means most of the time when it's used in the New Testament? It could be translated this way. A right standing with God. That's righteousness. A right standing with God. Say that with me. A right standing with God. That's righteousness. Paul says, but now a righteousness or a right 
standing with God from God, apart from the law. And the people of Jesus' day who heard him say this would have gone, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. You can't have a right standing with God apart from the law. The law, the rules of God, when we obey them, that's what gives us a right standing with God. We can't, we can't be righteous apart from the law. Paul's talking about something that's brand new though. He says, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. Paul says there is this new and different way. Paul says, you thought that you pleased God or that you had a, a right standing with God by doing all the right things. I mean, that makes sense. Because of every religion in the world seems to function that way. Every religion in the world says we have our standard. And as long as you measure up to our standard, then you're okay. The Jews have their standard. The Greeks had their rules. The Romans had their rules. And so it just seemed natural that if you were going to measure up, that if you were going to be in a right standing with God, that you would also follow His rules. Paul says, I have discovered something that is brand new. He says, I want to, Jesus has come and invited us to follow. He's laid the foundation for this totally different kind of relationship. Paul says, you can have a right standing with God. Now, I don't want to assume too much this morning. But I would imagine all of us desire to have a right standing with God, don't we? I mean, whoever you have decided is God, don't you want to have a, a right standing? Don't you want God to look down and say, everything's good, you're cool, we're fine? I mean, we all want that, don't we? Well, maybe you'd say, you know, I really don't care, Jeff. I don't care about having a right standing. I know a time in your life when you might. I've seen it way too many times. I'll tell you when you'll want a right standing with God. When you are laying in a hospital bed and there are thousands of, seems like thousands of tubes hooked up to your body and machinery making all kinds of noises and all of those nasty smells, you're going to want a right standing with God. You will. And Paul says you can have a right standing with God apart or separate from the law. This desire to have a right standing with God is in all of us. And Paul announces you can have it. Listen to what he says the rest of that verse 21. He says, to which the law and the prophets testify. Paul says, you know all that stuff in the Old Testament? Isaac and Abraham and Esther and Moses and the Red Sea and David and the Psalms and the Proverbs, all that stuff in the Old Testament, all of that was announcing or pointing to the fact that there was going to someday be a way to have a right standing with God apart from the law. Do you realize that the story of the whole Old Testament is really the redemptive story of God through history, all pointing to the coming of Jesus? And Paul says even, even the Old Testament testifies about this new way of being in a right standing with God. Verse 22, this righteousness, this right standing with God from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus. To all, and there's our word, to all who believe. He says this, this new way, this different way comes how? It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It comes to those who believe. And then he says there is no difference. You know what he's saying there? 
He's saying there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There is no difference between Matthew, a tax collector, and John, a businessman. This, this right standing with God is available to everyone. There is no distinction. It's not available just to Jews who have kept all of the law. This right standing with God is available to us. To all of us. Why? Then why do we need this new way to be in a right standing? Verse 23, For all have sinned. For all have sinned. We are all in the same bucket. We may have committed different sins. We may have committed them to varying degrees and with different frequency. But Paul says we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of perfection. Then he says this, we fall short of the glory or the radiance or the perfection of God. God is perfect. And the fact that we have sinned, no matter how big or little, no matter how often or how infrequent, the fact that we have sinned makes us less than perfect. And our sin causes us to be separated from God. And that's a problem. God said to the Jewish nation, because sometimes we think, you know what, I, I'm, I'm okay. And you know what, even if you, if you sin on Thursday this week, and you never sin the rest of your life, you still don't match up to God's standard of perfection, do you? The Jewish people used to say, God, we, we, we think we can measure up. He'd said, oh yeah? He'd say, look back at the Old Testament. There are, there are the big ten there, the Ten Commandments, but on, in addition to those Ten Commandments, there are 600 other commandments. And God said to the Jewish nation, you think you can measure up? Think you can be in a right standing with me all on your own? Go look at those 600 commands. And when you have obeyed all of them perfectly, come back and we'll talk. Now maybe you'd protest when you do something wrong. You ever say this when you do something wrong? Nobody's perfect. You know, you make a little mistake. Eh, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. God says, you're right. And that's exactly my point. Nobody is perfect. But my standard is perfection. And because you are imperfect, you alone, by yourself, can't be in right standing with God. Which means we need to answer the question, then how do I have a right standing with God? How do I have... A right standing with someone whose standard is perfection. Paul would say, I'll tell you how it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen by you being good. You're not that good. But he says this in verse 24. That we are justified. And that word really could sort of equivalent to righteousness. It's the idea of being in a right standing with God. We are justified freely. Now, what does the word free mean? Yeah, it means it's free, right? Except when you hear somebody offer something free, what do you immediately think? Oh, there's a catch, huh? I heard something advertised on the radio this week in the car one day. Absolutely free. And I thought, sure, until I show up at the store. And then I'm sure there is some catch. There's something else that I have to do to get that. Paul wants us to understand here what is being offered to us is absolutely free. We are justified freely. How? By grace 
through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It is absolutely free. And we can have a right standing with God based on what Jesus has already done for us. He has already redeemed us. He has already paid the price for our sins when He went and died on the cross. And Paul says, you know what? By yourself, you can't be in a right standing with God. But through the grace of Jesus, you can be in a right standing with God. Did you hear that the city of Fort Myers is holding a jump across the river contest? Jump across the Caloosahatchee River? Yeah, next Saturday, anybody that wants to enter the contest, you just line up on the shores of Fort Myers and jump across the river to the other side. Not really. But can you imagine? Can you imagine if it was a contest? It wouldn't matter how big of a running start they gave you or what kind of shoes they allowed you to wear. Nobody could jump across the Caloosahatchee from Fort Myers to the promised land of Cape Coral, could they? Just kidding. Can't be done. You can't do that by yourself. That's kind of the picture that God paints for us here that Paul wants us to understand. If the standard is perfection and you stand on the shore, no matter what you do humanly, you can't get to the other side by yourself because you never can be perfect. But the gift that has been offered to us is Jesus has said, I'll help you get to the other side. I'll pay the price for your sin. I'll help you get into a right standing with God through My grace. Then listen to how Paul wraps this up in verse 25. It says, God presented Him, or Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement, which goes back to the picture of the Old Testament and the people used to make sacrifices for their sins, which just kept pushing them back from year to year. He says that, through faith in His blood or in His death. He did this to demonstrate His justice. God is a God of justice. And then He says, because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. You know what He's talking about there? He's talking about all those people that lived prior to the coming of Jesus. In fact, some of these people who were hearing, reading this letter that Paul wrote for the first time might have protested, wait a minute. What about my relative that died a hundred years ago. How did they get into a right standing with God? They never had a chance to, to follow and to believe. You know what God's promise was? He says not Jesus' death was not only for the present, it was also for all of those before. Their sin is covered. Verse 26, And He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time. This is about Him taking care of those people present and future who would sin. So, as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You know what? God understood the ramifications of our sin. And God didn't say, you know what? I'll just change the standard so everybody can be good. No, His justice wouldn't allow that. God looks at our sin and there is this tension that He feels because He is a just God. Do you ever have a sense of injustice rise up in you? I was watching the Olympics the other night. I was watching the, the, uh, theme, the women's gymnastics, the team competition. And I'm telling you, when those Chinese girls were on the balance beam, it seemed like to me they were wavering and wobbling all over the place. And when our girls got up there, they seemed to be perfect. But you know what? Our girls didn't get the score they deserved, in my opinion. And I had this sense of injustice that rose up within me. And you know what? There are times when you perceive injustice and there is this emotion that rises up within you. And you know what that is? 
A lot of cases, that's the image of God rising up within you because He is a just God. And His justice demands that when we sin, a penalty be paid for that sin. He says not only though is He the justifier, the just, He is also the justifier. He saw a problem because of our sin and He said, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to have the solution. And His solution was to satisfy His justice that He sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place so that somebody paid the penalty for our sins. He was just and the justifier. And now He offers the invitation to us by grace that if we simply place our faith, our trust, if we believe, then we can be in a right standing with God. We fall short. And so Jesus died for all of mankind so that we could be in a right standing with God. I read on, uh, online on Fox News this week the story of Mossab Youssef. He is the son of a militant Hamas Islamic leader. But Mossab, several years ago, left the Islamic faith to become a Christ follower. This is an incredible article. You probably could still go online at Fox News and uh, Google this and read it yourself. But it tells a lot of his story and a lot of his journey to faith. And there was a point in his life where he began to follow Jesus. By following, I mean he began to investigate the teachings of Jesus. He just checked it out. He investigated. He asked questions. He began to hang out with other Christ followers. He wanted to know, is this true? And at some point, he crossed that line from just following to, I believe. In fact, when asked about this event in his life and how difficult it was and how the decision was made, he said this. He said, that was the most difficult decision to become a Christian in my life. And I didn't do it for fun. I didn't do it for anything from this world. I did it only for one reason. I believed in it. What a change that happened in this guy's life. Why? Because he followed Jesus for a while. And at some point, at some point, he stepped across the line of just following and said, I believe. I believe that Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. And I'm placing my trust in Him. Now, there's one more component to this process, this very simple process of following, believing, and next week we'll talk about the last element. But today I hope you would consider taking those first two steps, that you would simply begin to follow Jesus. And I am confident that as you follow, there will be a moment where you will say, I believe. I believe that Jesus is who He says He is. And you will place your trust in Him. God, I thank You that it really is so simple for us to come to a relationship with God. God, I thank You that Jesus came to earth to make it clear to us how we could connect with God. And I thank You that Jesus has offered to every single one of us a very simple invitation to follow Him. And God, I pray that as each of us pursue following You, You would do that work in our lives, that we'd all have that moment where we'd step across the line of faith, we'd reach that point where we say, I believe. 
and we'd place our trust in You. And God, for what will happen in our lives when we do that, I thank You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.